Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be at. I hope when you come in during our times this morning that you come in with a Bible. We are using a Bible during our time together this morning, so hope you have a Bible with you. If you come in and you don't have a Bible, there's always Bibles back there behind Shelly to feel free to get one to take advantage of. Also, when you come in... There's always bulletins at both doors that I just want to encourage you to get one. Not only does it have information about what we're doing as a church inside, but there's also notes on the back of that that you may want to uh, use as we study God's Word together this morning. Usually the, the notes are behind me on the screen, but if you would like to take notes, not only it helps you stay awake, but it also helps kind of keep you um, following along with where we're moving through in the passage this morning. So Exodus chapter 20, um, in your Bibles, and there are those notes that are there. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but have you ever wondered how much you were worth? I'm not talking about in a spiritual sense. Yes, we know that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And I'm not trying to marginalize that or minimalize that. But I'm talking in cold, hard cash. You were to pull out a checkbook or you were to pull out your piggy bank. Exactly how much are you worth? Well, there could be some speculation. Some people may think they're worth more than others, or some people may think someone's worth more than someone else. But there was a study in 2005 done by the Indiana University School of Medicine, and they calculated that your entire body is worth $45 million. Now, I know some of you are looking and thinking, I don't think I'm quite worth $45 million. But here's where they come up with it. They said that instead of the vital organs being the most valuable parts of your body, they said, no, it's actually your bone marrow. In fact, for all 206 of the bones in your body, the marrow alone is worth $23 million. They calculated that your DNA is worth $9.7 million and your kidney coming in at $91,000 is more expensive and more valuable than your heart that clocks in at a $57,000. You take organ after organ, bone after bone, marrow after marrow, and they come up with this $45 million valuation. Now some people say, well, I don't think that's quite accurate because the insurance industry has their own way of calculating out what something is worth. So you have your accidental death and dismembership policies or your workman's comp policies or whatever the case may be. And so sometimes you get injured and you will get an insurance payout for losing something. I was in the oil field and a gentleman in an accident lost his thumb, kind of like Jared tried to do the other day. And uh, he lost, but that time it took the entire thumb off, Jared, but it took his thumb off and he showed back up at work and I said, well, how is it? He said, I don't know. He said, it's not so bad. I got my check. And I said, a check for what? He said, a check for my thumb. And I said, you mean to pay you for your medical bills? He said, no, they paid me for my thumb. And I said, well, how does a person determine what a thumb is worth? Well, they have a number. You lose a hand. Some of the insurance companies, some of the, the common number they will use is that is worth $125,000. A foot, again, $125,000. Lose sight in an eye, another $125,000. These insurance companies have a way of calculating what your, your stuff is worth. In fact, some of the celebrities like Mariah Carey, Barbara Streisand, Jennifer Lopez, Keith Richards, and others, they have actually insured their noses, eyes, legs, hands, and other physical attributes 
for millions and millions of dollars. In fact, Lloyd's of London, which is the foremost celebrity parts insurer over there in Europe, said that they have the most policies ever of celebrities coming and insuring physical body parts. In fact, there is one celebrity that insured her backside. I guess because she felt like the two cheeks were that important and that valuable. But there are people that will value and insure parts of their body. I can't test this myself, but I've heard of people when they bought a wedding ring or an engagement ring, buying insurance on that because of the price of the value of that. I have never been in that category where I needed insurance on a particular piece of jewelry. But if you think about it, everybody has a value. Now, there's another industry out there, not just the medical industry, not just the insurance industry that is assigning a value to you, but there's also another industry this morning that I'm going to drive at during our time together, and that is the marketing industry. You see, if you go back and you look at the Super Bowl, or you go back and you look at social media, you go back and you look at print, or online, or via media, or, or, or the TV, or cable news, or wherever it is, the billboards that you drive down, everybody is competing for you. That is why people will pay millions of dollars for a 30-second advertisement slot for their Super Bowl, because you are that important. And more so than that, you are that valuable. So you have big corporations, big companies that are spending millions and billions of dollars in marketing, trying to get into your eyes, trying to get into your ears, trying to get your attention because they know their most valuable piece is you. Well, Satan also knows that. And so Satan is always competing for your heart and your eyes and your ears. Now we're going to talk this morning on the subject of coveting. We've been looking through these 10 foundations. Historically, we talk about them as being the 10 commandments. We have started all the way back there at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, and we've been working all the way through these 10 foundations or these 10 commandments, if you will. These 10 basic fundamentals that God has given us that says this should order your faith and your practice and your life. And he has walked, we walked through these together. We get to the last one this morning, and this one is probably one of the ones that we battle with the most, on the most regular basis. I'm going to assume that most of you didn't wake up this morning with great urges to kill somebody, or great urges to commit adultery, or great urges to set up your idol, or your great urges to maybe steal, or to lie, but many times, without even realizing it, we find ourselves being attacked, or tempted to covet. Now here's the main deal that I'm trying to get to this morning is the danger of the coveting is that we covet because we are not satisfied with what God has given us. That is why we covet. And the reason we, it is such a big deal today is because there are corporations and there are businesses and even more underlying than that, there is demonic powers and satanic work trying to get you and I to covet every single day. Well, what is the 10th? Foundation. What does the 10th commandment say? I kind of paraphrase it there in your notes up there. So please look at that. If you look at that and go, well, that's not the way that it says in my Bible, preacher. I paraphrase it for the sake of time because I only got so much space on this paper. So let me read for you chapter 20 and verse 17. Let me read for you what this 10th foundation, this 10th commandment says. God says this to his people. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So God comes in and this final commandment, this final foundational truth he gives to the people has to do with their hearts, has to do with their eyes, has to do with their priorities. And he just simply comes in and says, I've given you these previous nine of how you relate to me, how you relate to other people. But this final one that he gives us, and I don't think it's final in least of importance, or this is the final one that is is more important. He just simply understands that they are going to be continually battling and continually fighting against this desire and this urge to covet. Well, what exactly is coveting, Spence? I, one of those words a lot of times we don't use every day in our daily vernacular. We will use other languages like LOL and R-O-F-L and O-M-G and you know the rest of them. I don't know the rest of them. Some of my, sometimes I have to look them up because I just don't understand what they were. But we will use languages all the time. But what does it mean to covet? Well, I put a definition there in your notes of what it means to covet. Coveting is to desire wrongfully, to wish for sinfully, or to have an inordinate desire. It's this idea that when you want something so bad that you'll do anything to get it. Or you want something so bad that's all you can think about. Or you want something so bad that it doesn't have to be from God. It's just that you want it on your own. And so the danger is that you and I can get so fixated on something or someone that we stop being focused on God. And that's really where the heart of it comes down to is God comes in and says, I have given you the things that you need to live in faithfulness and obedience to me. I have given you the things for you to live in honor of me and for my glory. I have given you everything that I think that you need to be obedient to me. And yet we come in and we look and we say, well, God, that's not enough. Or God, I'm not happy with that. Or God, that's not going to cut it for me because I want what he or she or them or they have. So this morning, I just want you to walk with me just some ideas. Three different areas of attack or temptation that we will face. The Bible tells us very clearly there in verse 17 that you shall not covet. And he goes through the list of your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his servants, his oxes, his, his ox, his donkeys, his animals, anything, any of his stuff. So in other words, he is saying you shall not covet someone else's things. You may be sitting here saying, Spence, I have not coveted your tie all morning long. You're safe. But there's other areas of attack or temptation that we're going to face. So consider this. Our senses. Our senses. When I talk about your senses, I'm talking about your hearing. I'm talking about your eyeballs. I'm talking about the touch. I'm talking about those things. So many times Satan will come in and he will seek to attack or to tempt us by by appeasing to our senses. In other words, he comes in and he shows us things that we see that we don't have. He comes in and says, you need this or you want that. You think about when you turn on the television and once upon a time, once upon a time, only on the free channels, 4, 5, 9, 10, whatever they were, you would have the commercials. And one of the allurements of the cable television was no commercials. You paid for it. Well, now you get on cable television and you have commercials. Once upon a time, you get on the internet and you think, I'm paying for this service. Why do I have commercials? Well, now you can't watch anything 
without there being a commercial. And even now, they have commercials within the commercials, and they have commercials within the videos. It's like everything is being monetized, and the whole focus is to say, you need this. So you pull off a Bob Howard's parking lot, and you got a brand new car, and you drive home, and you're so proud of yourself because you got a brand new car, and you pull into the driveway, and then all of a sudden... Reynolds Ford comes on there and has a nicer, newer car, and you go, uh-uh, I need that. It's one of those things that we are constantly being tempted with the things that we see that we don't have. Instead of looking at what you have right now, all you're doing is looking at what you don't have and what you wish that you had. And so one of the ways that Satan comes to us to try to get us to covet is to allure us and to tempt us with the things that we see that we don't have. Or we hear that someone else has something that we don't have. Did you hear about Bob? He got him a new rifle. I sure wish I could get a new rifle. Did you hear about Sally? She got her nails done. I sure wish I could get my nails done. Did you hear about this person? They just got a new pool built in. I just wish I could get me a brand new pool. You hear about that family? They just got a new furniture set in the living room. Boy, I wish I could have me a new furniture set in my living room. See, the only problem is, is that we see the best in others, or we only see the best in them and the worst in ourselves. That's the danger with social media. I have lots of things that I have against social media. One of them is, is that there's a pretty good chance right now that Facebook muted our song service from this morning. So that beautiful special the song that, that Greg and Haley sang, it could be that Facebook muted us over copyright infringement. That's, to me, like, that must be demonic. Why would anybody want to mute worship Music, But it's one of those things that the danger of social media comes is that we only see what people want us to see. So you start feeding in on the social media and all you're seeing is, man, that person's life is perfect. Man, that person's life is perfect. Man, that person's marriage is perfect. That person's job is perfect. That person's house is perfect. That person's finances are perfect. That person, those people, all that stuff is perfect. I'm not perfect. Because Satan... And this world is continually appealing to our senses. The iPhone 11 is the latest iPhone that came out. I bought the Kool-Aid. I drank the Kool-Aid. About seven years ago. And when I got that Apple iPhone, I think it was like a six, five, four, something, somewhere in those, you know, lower numbers. I remember buying that thing and thinking, this is... (laughs) This is it. (laughs) I have arrived. My life has been transformed and has been changed. I can check the weather from my phone. I got a calculator right here on my phone. I I, I can look at the news right here on my phone and have all these ideas. This was the last phone I was ever going to need. That was it. Until they came out with a new one. Until they came out with another one. Some of you guys say, well, I'll spend, I don't have that problem. And then John Deere comes out with a new baler. <laughs> I can't say amen. You got to say ouch. <laughs> or, or, or they come out with a new show stick. Or they come out with a nicer trailer. Or they come out with a nicer vehicle. They come out with something else. And the next thing you know, we are sitting there thinking, I don't have what I want. And it's all because our senses are being appealed to. And Satan is saying, you don't have what you want. You want this. And the next thing you know, we start finding ourselves being so focused on those things. And not focused on the things that God has given us for God's purpose and for God's glory. And we find ourselves coveting because we want that instead of we wanting God. 
And we have to be careful about our senses being attacked. But there's another area. And it's our thoughts. It's our thoughts that Satan seeks to come in. And to worm his way in to get us to begin to covet and to desire and to wish upon in a wrong way. He starts to come into our thoughts and he wants to come in and say, you know what, just start thinking about it. Just start thinking about how much you want it. And so we'll start using phrases like, well, why do they get that and not me? Why them and not me? Why do they get to go on vacation for a 10-day cruise in the Bahamas and I don't get to do that? Why do they get to drive those kind of vehicles? Why do they get to kind of have that kind of lifestyle? Why them and not me? And what we do is we start to determine what we think is fair or not fair. And you notice that everybody has a different definition of what fair is. Everybody has a different definition of fair and no one has a biblical definition of what fair is. Is. Because as you see, if you're going to go to a biblical definition of what fair means, fair would mean that we'd all be in hell for the sins that we've committed against our Savior. Fair would be that Jesus wouldn't die on a cross sinless, taking the place of my sin and your sin. That would be fair. God pouring his wrath out upon me and not upon his son. That would be fair. God not giving me a single thing that I didn't merit, earn, or deserve. That would be fair. And yet we live in a day and age that everybody wants to look around and say, well, that's not fair. The problem comes is that when we think about our thoughts so many times, it starts to be connected with our feelings and it starts to be connected with our emotions. And the next thing you know, we are more trusting by our feelings and instead of trusting by faith. And so there in verse 17, he says, you shall not covet. And then he gives us this list and he says, I want you to know there is a danger every time that you even think there's danger every time you look because Satan is continually trying to attack you. He's continually trying to say, well, you know what? If you just had that, that would be enough. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and you will be happy. Just a little bit more and that will be sufficient. Just one more bite and that'll be good. Just one more. Just one more. What is it? Lay's potato chips has the phrase, you can't just have one. The idea that they understand that once you get one, you're going to get two, and you're going to get three, and the next thing you know, you're going to get and get till there's no more to be got. And the world outside these walls, and even the world inside these walls, is constantly trying to tell us, well, you know what? If, it, if you just get a little bit more, that will make you happy. Especially in the church world today, there's all these kind of questions about how do we appeal to the people in this seeker-friendly type of atmosphere. So they come in and say, well, what kinds of music do we have to have for the people to engage in worship? What does the lighting need to be? What does the temperature need to be? How long does the sermon need to be? What, is the, how, how, what do the, the, the chairs need to look like? Or, or what does the layout need to be? And we're always trying to find that perfect, that perfect picture of how to please the most. The problem is, is that we'll never please everybody. Some of you are freezing cold. Some of you are burning up. Some of you are staying awake. Some of you are already getting drowsy. Some of you are going, well, I'm glad I'm here. Some of you are going, I'm not sure if I'm glad if I'm here. Everybody is always someplace else. And as long as we as a church are always trying to pamper to your physical preferences, we will miss your greater spiritual need. 
And there's a danger that we think in this life and in this world and this culture that we're living in today, it's all about our thoughts and how you feel and what you want. Well, this is my emotions and they have validity and they have worth and they have value and they do. But the problem is, is that we have never been called to walk by our feelings. We've been called by what to walk by faith. Which comes to this last one. He thinks about the attacks of our senses. We think about the attacks on our thoughts. But then the attacks of our faith. You see back there in verse 17 when God is looking at his people and he says, You shall not covet. He doesn't just leave it as saying, don't covet what's not yours. He kind of fleshes it out. He kind of explains exactly what he is referring to. And the whole crutch of it is not because he doesn't want there to be a capitalistic free market economy. It's not because he wants them all to be in rags and dismal situations. He doesn't want them to go hungry. He's not doing it so they live in abject poverty. He's not doing it so they're constantly living like the Essenes did, a kind of lifestyle they're constantly sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing. He's not coming in and looking at them and saying, I want to always take and never give. But he understands ultimately our life comes down to a product of our faith. And your actions and your behaviors, your priorities, what you're going to do this afternoon, what you did last night, what you did on Friday, what you're going to do on Monday, what you're going to do with your checkbook, what you're going to do with your TV remote, what you're going to do with your vehicle, what you're going to do with your resources, what you're going to do with your time, what you're going to do with your abilities, what you're going to do with your talents, what you are going to do with the breath that God has given you, the relationships that God has put in your life. All of those things will be influenced and will be a product and a result of your faith. Because God knows that if you have more faith in yourself or in this world, then you will follow yourself and this world more than you'll follow God. So God wants to be very clear to Moses and the people that this coveting thing is not just a matter of, well, I know I shouldn't do that. I I know I should try better. It's not a matter of the model of your vehicle or the version of your, your your electronic device. It's a matter of your faith in God. You see, he's coming in and he's looking at these people and he is saying, I understand that as you continue, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people around you. This guy's going to have 10 donkeys and this guy's going to have 20 oxen and this guy, his wife's going to be younger and more attractive. This guy's going to have more kids. This guy's going to have kids and back and forth and they go all around the gamut and he's going to say, you can start looking around and if you look long enough, you're always going to find somebody that has something better than you. Every single time. It doesn't matter what you have. (coughs) You can always find somebody that has something better than you. And he says, but the danger is is if you start looking around and trying to see what they have and why you don't have it and what you got to do to get what they have, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be fulfilled. And you'll spend your life living for the wrong purposes. So he says it's a matter of your faith. It's a matter of your faith in God. You see, the world's ideas or the standards of success are always changing. But here's what I wish, especially you young people. I wish you could get this. If God is enough, then God is enough. And I realize sometimes the most simple Simple thoughts are sometimes the, uh, the ones we just escape and dismiss the most easily. But, but hear me out. If, if, if God is enough, then God is enough. 
What do you mean, preacher? I'm saying that if God is enough to save you, if God is, God's love is enough to send His Son to die for you, if God is enough that He can provide a way that you might be forgiven of your sins, that you might have eternal security in heaven, if God is enough that He might provide a way for you to spend an eternity with Him, if God is enough to create you and to create everything that you've ever seen and everything that you've ever known, if God is enough to be your creator, to be your sovereign God, if God is enough to do everything that you could ever ask and more than you could ever ask, if God is enough, then God is enough. Then God is enough that we don't need to go out and looking and saying, well, I know that I have an almighty, omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful God. I know I got one of those, but he can't handle this bill. He can't handle this medical diagnosis. He can't handle this relational problem. He can't handle this desire. He can't handle these feelings and these emotions that I'm facing. He can't handle the situation I'm in. God is God, but God isn't enough for this. And whether you do it with a physical possession or whether you do it with an emotional feeling, you begin to covet. Because you want their happiness. Or you want their smile. Or you want their peace. Or you want their joy. And next thing you know, you stop being satisfied with what God has given you and you start looking for what God has given someone else. And brothers and sisters, there comes a time that we need to ask ourselves, what am I living for and what am I living to? Am I living for God? Am I living to be used by God in the kingdom of God? Or am I living for myself? And so this last one, he comes in. And this last one, God looks and he is speaking through Moses to the people. And he says, do, do not miss this. Covenant is not a matter of wanting a newer vehicle or a nicer car or a, or a different phone or a, a nicer suit or a living room suit, furniture. It's not about the tangible things as much as it's about the spiritual things. The tangible things impact the spiritual things. And the spiritual things impact the tangible things. So how's your foundation? We've walked through this idea that Satan will attack. He will tempt us in at least three areas, if not more, our senses, our thoughts, and our faith. But when it comes to you here this morning, where are you at? We've been asking this question about examining the foundation, just simply saying, okay, so practically speaking, or, or applicable spe- applicably speaking, where are we at? Where do we stand? So in this, in this condition, or in this context, or this subject of coveting, where are you? Three questions, and we'll be done. What are you focused on? What are you focused on? I'll tell you right now, if you're more focused on this political stuff than on God, you got your heart in the wrong spot. There's no way, whether, it is a, whether it's a donkey or an elephant, none of those are going to bring us the salvation we need. And if you get fixated on that, then you're fixated on the wrong thing. Or are you fixated, or is your focus on your job? Well, man, I just got to work here. Preacher, you don't understand. I've got to get this promotion. I've got to get this bill paid off. You're always thinking about work, 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 work. I'm going to tell you, work is always going to be there. Work is always going to be there. What are you focused on in relation to where we're at here in Exodus 20, verse 17? I think God could come in and say, listen, are you focused on your neighbor? Are you focused on your creator? 
Are you focused on the thing that God wants you to do, the things that God has given you, the purposes and the plans that God has put in your life, or are you only focused on what someone else is doing or what someone else has and what you want that they have? So what are you focused on? What are your priorities? What are your priorities? Everybody has a plan. Most everybody, I assume, has a plan. What they're going to do. We get out of church here in another 45 minutes and you think about what am I going to do this afternoon? Where am I going to go this afternoon? What am I going to, where am I going to, who am I going to see? What am I going to do? Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to take a nap? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to sit down? All of these are priorities. What are you going to do in the morning? In the morning, it's a matter of priorities. Are you going to get in God's word? Are you going to spend time praying to God? Are you going to spend time thinking about God, meditating on God? Are you going to think about asking God about what he wants you to do with your life? Where are you going to be? What are you going to do? It's a matter of your priorities. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to have evening service. Right there in the fellowship hall. And you all are invited. Every single one of you. You're invited to be here. We would love to have you come. Next Sunday morning at 9.45, we have Sunday school. In fact, this morning, this morning, since we had so many adults, we had to combine three classes into one class. <laughs> so many adults, we just couldn't keep them all in three different places. So, so we combined them all to one class. 62 people on the membership roll, and less than half of that were present this morning. I would invite you to come and join us for Sunday school. 9.45, right here come. Steve is talking about doing another class over in the fellowship hall for another uh, category of individuals. And so if you're interested in that, come. But I invite you. I invite you to come here. But here is the reality. And I know know you better pull your toes in for this one because this might sting. But it's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of your priorities. Where you're at and what time you're there and how long you're there and how often you're there is a matter of of priorities. You do not answer to me. You do not answer to a trustee. You do not answer to a deacon. You do not answer to a membership body. You will answer to God. So it's not my place to tell you what your priorities are or what they should be. I'm just going to simply tell you based upon the authority of God's word and based upon my love for you and wanting to be honest with you, what you do with your time, with your money, with your resources, with your talents, and with your abilities is a matter of priorities. And every single one of us are going to stand before God one day and give an account for our priorities. So where's your focus? Where's your priorities? And then this last one. Is God enough? Is God enough? I don't know about you and I don't want to assign motive into your heart, into your life, but personally speaking, some of the times that I can point to as The most disobedient, the most unfaithful times, the most unfruitful times, the most backslidden times in my life was because I was convinced that I needed something God wasn't giving me. I needed a friendship, I needed an experience, I needed a lifestyle, I needed an autonomy, I needed a freedom, I needed... To do something, enjoy something, go somewhere, see someone, be a part of something. I wanted something that God wasn't giving me. And so I decided that God, in this moment and in this time, you're not enough. And I'm going to go do what I want to do. 
church, the problem is, is that we are answering the question every single day, is God enough? And when God ceases to be enough, we begin to covet. So that's why God comes in here in this 10th commandment, this 10th foundation. And he just simply says, you shall not covet. I wonder, is God enough for you today? You bow your heads with me.